0: Thank you. It's, uh, it's an honor to be with you guys this morning, and uh, good to be back in this building. Uh, my mind goes back to uh, several years ago, and uh, when you guys first came in here. And, uh, but, can I pray? I like to pray before I preach. I know you guys have been praying, but let me just dedicate this to God. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your presence. God, thank you that that this is your church, and and God, that you know every single person in here by name. And more importantly than anything that someone has to say, Lord God, we know that you want to speak. So we pray, Lord God, that you would uh, open up our hearts and our minds to to hear from you and be challenged and transformed. So, Lord Jesus, would you have your way, and most importantly, Lord, would you Your name, and only your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most three, I was uh, had taken a team from our church down to uh, a remote island in the South Pacific. And to describe remote, I mean bamboo huts, no electricity, no medical, 80 miles away from another island. It was remote. And uh, my parents had been missionaries on that island for several years, and we'd taken a team from our church just to go and assist them and help them. And while we were there, we heard about the grave of a missionary uh, who had been killed about 90 years before, and so we had decided, hey, let's go and find his grave. And so we set out, led by some locals, and, uh, and I'll never forget the moment I saw that grave, uh, I don't think I was ready for what God wanted to do in that moment. And so we were literally with machetes kind of hacking through the jungle when we saw it. And it was in the middle of the jungle and it was on this side of this hill. And there was this single tombstone, which honestly, no picture, no markings. And it was just overgrown with vegetation. And as I walked up there with the team, all of us just, stood in silence no one could say a word. His name was James Gordon. James uh, came from Nova Scotia to the South Pacific and he went there in 1865 and he went because he just found out that there were no more missionaries on that island. Uh, That George and Ellen Gordon who had been the missionaries had just been killed and he knew this because George was his brother and Ellen, obviously, his sister-in-law. And, uh, and so after his family got killed, he would pack up his things and go to the very people that killed his family. And I knew this story. And as I stood there looking at this grave, this story was just running through my mind over and over again. What led him to this place? I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't the promise of a salary package. It wasn't a desire for title, power, or position. It wasn't for accolades or a spotlight or for crowds of loving people. It certainly wasn't for a comfortable lifestyle. No, what led him to this place was simply knowing that the need for these people to find Jesus and know Jesus still existed. And so he would leave. Seven years later, after arriving on the island, he would pray for a young lady to get healed, and she wouldn't. So her father, who was a chief, killed him. And so as I'm looking at this grave, and the stories were playing over and over in my mind, I remember saying, man, who would do this? And I felt like in that moment, Jesus spoke to me very clearly and said, I would and i did was in need for him and he would leave the comforts of heaven he would come to a people that would persecute him to people that would reject him and to a people that would eventually hang him on a cross and at least try to kill him and he would come anyway because he knew that we did not stand a chance without him and so i looked at this And as I was looking at this grave and as I was asking that question, I saw James's life and I saw Jesus's life and they two mirrored each other. James looked like Jesus and Jesus looked like James. And then in that moment, I felt like a mirror was flipped and not only did I come face to face with James and in essence face to face with Jesus, but unfortunately I came face to face with myself. And my life didn't look like James's and really didn't look like Jesus. And I had Reverend in front of my name. This is what a missionary's life looks like, but this is what a Christian's life looks like. See, when Jesus called me to ministry, I did say yes, but I said yes to Him to what I wanted to do, right? I said, Lord, I will I will go into ministry and and let me tell you, it was a wrestle to get me into ministry. But I will go to ministry, but I will not be a pastor. I will not be a youth pastor. And if I knew serving in the district office was on the agenda, I would have been like, I will not be a district I would have said that one too. I told God really what I wouldn't do. And I also made it clear to him what I was willing to do. I said, I will serve you and only serve you in missions. And I had my reasons. I thought, well, with my military background, that's where God needed me. Like if he really needed me somewhere, right? Thank you, Selwyn, for your service. This is where I need you. But where he didn't need me was a pastor. And I, again, I had my reasons. I, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in church, loved God. Some people in church can be And so be careful of the deals you make with God, because I feel like I've spent more time serving positions that I told God I wouldn't serve in than where I said I would. But in essence, what I was saying to God was, God, I'll only serve you where I'm comfortable. I'll only serve you where I want to be. I like to tell people that in that moment, I heard the most profound sermon I had ever heard. And it came from a missionary who had been dead over a hundred years without him saying a single word, simply by the way that he lived. And I encountered God that, that day. Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verses 23 through 24. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only only a single seed. But Jesus was talking about wheat, and I want to use corn to illustrate his message and what he's saying. I don't think he would mind. He made all of it, and I think it stands true. But I I hold in my hand a, a single kernel of corn. I don't know if you can even see it. But does anyone know what the potential for the single kernel of corn is? This single kernel of corn can reproduce itself up to 1,600 times. 1,600 times. I love how God works, right? This one single kernel will produce one plant if it's buried. This one plant, on average, will produce two ears. Each ear, on average, will have 800 kernels. And so if this single kernel dries up, dies and is buried it becomes productive but it did not always look like this did it no once it looked like this smile on your face and you're like ah summertime i know what to do with that well let me be clear this is not sweet corn this is cattle corn so you don't want this but if it were sweet corn all right I know exactly what to do with this. I will boil this up. I'll put some butter on it. I will sink my teeth into it. And you can just taste it right now. And now you're getting hungry You want to leave. <laughs> and you could do that. And it would cease to be productive. All of its value would be gone. So this actually, in this form, is in its most unproductive state. To us, it looks good. To us, it looks promising. To us, it looks like life. So how does it get from this protected too productive. And there's a process that exists. These are husks, and I guess the word is shucking, right? Is that what it is? Dehusking, shucking, husking. But you know what these husks actually do to the corn? It protects it, right? This is not hard, right? It protects it. No tricks dry up, and I'm going to speed up the process in life you don't get to. But and they slowly dry up and as they dry up they fold down and they begin to expose and if this was sweet corn it would be much tender than this they expose the kernels of corn inside and sweet corn you could push this and the juice would come out of it and then you would really get hungry and after a while of being exposed in the sun it would look less like that And begin to look more like this. Now nobody in here is going, I would like to sink my teeth into that. Right? And rightfully so. You're going, that's a fall decoration. Hang that on the porch. That thing is gone. This, this is life. This is past life. Death. Right? But in God's economy, this is the beginning of life. This is far more closer to being productive than this ever will. And obviously you know how this works. When it dries up and falls from this to the ground, it's then that it's buried. Husks. We all have husks in our lives. We all have things that We try and keep a lot of our lives to protect us. And actually, in our culture, you can't turn on the TV without them promoting more husks, right? You turn on the TV and you can't have enough life insurance. You can't have enough medical insurance. You can't have enough retirement. You can't have enough finances. You can't have a big enough job. It's all these things that say you need more, you need more, you need more protection. And so everything in our world is designed to get us to put more husks on us and around us. And I have to believe the enemy is fully engaged in that because life is about you. Take care of yourself. And when you get taken care of yourself, then you can take care of other things. That's what the world says. Even for Christians, it's like, take care of this. When this is looking like this, then you can take care or move in what God's called you to do. And the reality of it is, is when I said yes to God, in essence, what I was saying, yes, I'll serve you only in this. I was saying, God, I will serve you. Wherever you want me, take my life as long as it looks like this. Take my life as long as it's fully protected. Take my life as long as I'm serving in my comfort zone, as long as I'm serving in my skill set, as long as I'm serving my ability, as long as I'm serving where I want to be. But I'm surrendered. Here I am. And so we try and serve God looking like this. And it just doesn't work. It's not until this becomes exposed to the sun Jesus goes on and says this in John chapter 12, verses 25 to 26. He says, The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. In Matthew 16, verse 24 through 25, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves. Take up the cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. How did Jesus transition from giving an agricultural lesson, right, to talking about the man who loves his life will lose it? Simply because, you know, he wasn't talking about an agricultural lesson. Yes, he was talking about himself, but he wasn't just talking about himself. He was actually talking about you. And he was talking about me. He was talking about us. In that moment, what he was actually doing, before he even mentioned the Great Commission, he was actually giving his strategy for taking the world for for the kingdom of God. He was saying, basically, you are these seeds. You are this kernel. And my strategy for reaching the world looks nothing like what the world says you need to have It looks like what I'm saying. It's not found. You will not reach the world for the kingdom by living in your husk, so to speak. You will reach the world by looking dead to the world. This is life to the world. This is death to the world. And in God's economy, this is what produces. So he wasn't just talking about himself. This was his global strategy. Can I share with you what the key to reaching New England is? And not just New England the key to reaching the world is it's not the best worship services. It's not the best preaching. It's not the best programs. Honestly, it's not your skill set. It's not your ability. It's not your education level. It's not any of those things. Those aren't bad things. They're just not it. In fact, if we limit God to those things, we won't see him move In his power, but rather what will forcefully advance the kingdom of God faster than anything is if Christians, if God's people will simply, I say simply, it's not that simple, but will simply learn to die to themselves. If we will simply learn to die to ourselves, embrace God's word and Jesus' mandate to go and make disciples in the midst of our weakness. And in the midst of our strength, God will do the rest. It has been my experience in ministry. God has always led me personally to the most uncomfortable places. He's always led me to places where I am convinced he's making a bad call. Like when he led me to be a pastor. This is probably pathetic, but I'll share with you guys. I was like, I am not a pastor. I think the first year of pastoring, <laughs> I shouldn't share this stuff, but the first year of pastoring, I think I was like in the like fetal position on the ground, crying out to God, literally on my office sometimes like, God, I can't do this. I really can't do this. And, and what I wanted to hear God say was this, I've built you for this. And yes, you can, and you're ready, and I've equipped you. And I I don't feel like that's what he said at all. I kind of feel like he shoved me with his foot. And said, kind of like, you're pathetic. And, and then he said, what well, I didn't want to hear. And that was, you're 100% right. You can't do it. But I can. And there's purpose in these impossible situations. There are purposes in cliffs. There are purposes in mountains that you can't climb. And my prayer is that God will lead you to those things. That doesn't sound very loving. And my prayer is that God will lead you to the places of weakness when it comes to serving him so you can watch how you can't do it. Because here's the ultimate thing. In the midst of trying, and I tried, in the midst of trying and trying and trying, it wasn't until I was completely defeated and said, God, I can't. And I felt like he said, now just take my hand. And I watched him do, so to speak, leap in a single bound what I could not do in all of my strength. And although the process is painful on the other side of the process, when you look back, you can look back and go, that is who my God is. That's the power of my God. I think in life, life is like that for a lot lot of us. Most of our prayers probably consist of, God, keep me from the lion's den. God, keep me from, from the fiery pit. So if I'm in the lion's den, that's unanswered prayer for me. Right? I didn't pray, God, keep me while I'm in the lion's den. You're supposed to show up before I get to the lion's den. But think about what happens in that when God prevents hungry, ravenous lions from actually devouring you. He doesn't necessarily turn them into kittens. No, they don't cease to be lions, and it's scary and terrifying. But the other side of it, you go, man, here's the power and here's the authority of my God. And if my God can do that, what can't he do? And my experience in my own life, and obviously this is just my life, God has led me to impossible, uncomfortable places that call me to walk far outside my ability, my education, and my skill set. In ways where you feel like you don't belong, and it's not you. I'm just an old army guy that doesn't belong up here. I appreciate the intro, but I I never see myself as qualified. I never see myself as equipped enough to be up here, and I still don't. I don't just say that. I, I, I mean that. And I say that for this. You are still God's strategy. You are God's plan. That has not changed. And it's not because of your education. It's not because of your skill set. In fact, sometimes our skill sets and abilities will actually prevent us from walking where God wants us to walk. How do you say that? Because when you lean in that and you only walk where you feel comfortable, you won't walk where he wants you to walk. I dare to say this, that God loves his people too much to entrust them into my strengths and my abilities. And so he has to put Selwyn, and I'm just speaking for myself, in places where I'm weak, because when I'm weak and I trust in his, he'll take them much further than I ever could in my strength and my ability. And I believe that's true of everyone. And so I say that to say, what are the husks in your life? Like, what are the husks in my life And honestly speaking, a lot of times when God calls us to do something new and challenging, my first initial response is one of excitement. Man, this is going to be great because we always imagine the great things, right? Oh, it's going to be great and all these people are going to get saved. And then anyway, as you get closer for Lori and I, we start counting the cost. We have an adult son, he's 24, he has autism. And when we first went to the mission field, we were, you know, I I remember getting excited and going, man, this is going to be great. And then as we got closer, we're like, hey, we're going to be living in a jungle, and Michael only eats Doritos and cheeseburgers and spaghetti. Don't judge us. (laughs) Terrible parenting. If you understand autism, you probably understand this. But we're like, those things don't exist in the jungle. (laughs) Like, there's a whole different desperation for the Lord in that. And, uh, And we trusted God, and we went, and and we literally lived in tents and pioneered a farm. And I'll tell you, Michael ate everything that we put before him, every vegetable. He did not complain once. It was like God put the blinders on him. It wasn't until a year later we got back in L.A., and he saw McDonald's. If you've ever been there in L.A., there's this, like, long corridor, and there's a McDonald's, and he saw it. And all of a sudden, there's, like, pretty much all nonverbal kids, like, McDonald's! And he starts running, and it was like God took the blinders off. And I say that cautiously because that isn't always the experience. God leads you to challenging places. And I've had times where God does not show up the way I expect him to. There's been times I've been very frustrated with God. Like, God, this is not what you're supposed to do. But through it all, he is faithful. He is good. and His ways are different. But what I want to challenge us today, what what I believe God wants to say is, what are your husks? What's holding you back? I think the enemy's... Desperately afraid of people in church to get this message. And he's desperately afraid. He'd like to throw as many husks on you as well. This is why you're not qualified. It's based on your past. It's based on this abuse. It's based on how you define yourself. The definition of yourself based on past sins could be uh, something that keeps you back. And then, of course, the definition of yourself based on positive things, education, abilities, all those things actually can keep you back if you start defining ourselves by those. But I want to tell you, you're defined by one thing, and that is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is not your abilities that will get the job done. It will be your obedience. It will be a combination of your obedience and his power. And that will be the end combination. And so what I believe God is saying to us this morning is, man, this world awaits. You have been set here. You were born with this purpose. The time is now. think when we're challenged with our husks and we start wrestling with the questions. And I want to be clear, these husks are real. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm not even saying they're bad things. To be concerned about the, for us, the future of our son who has autism, that's not a bad thing, right? So these things are not necessarily bad things, but when they prevent you from moving in obedience to what God says. So as these real challenges and tensions exist in your life, you begin to wrestle that with God. I would just challenge you to ask a different line of questions, and that would be but what about God and what about his kingdom and what about the lost and what about his faithfulness and his power? And in that moment, as you're kind of wrestling through those things, and this is going to sound a little bit hard, but I'm going to say it anyway, in that moment of wrestling between your comfort and, and obedience, who you bow down to in that moment really determines who your king is and who's enthroned in your life if we bow down to the desire to take care of ourselves as opposed to being obedience to God, then, then you're enthroned in your life. But if you bow down to what God has said, despite the tension, some of the fears and the nervousness, then he is enthroned. I'm a control freak. I like to have it all figured out. God doesn't always give me the path. Most of the time, he doesn't. Because if he does, I would plot my path. And I would, and I would do it with the least amount of obstacles and the least amount of challenges, and we all would. Because why would you do anything else? Despite the murder of his own family, James recognized the overwhelming need that still existed, and he went anyway. Today, the overwhelming need still exists. 867 unreached people groups in Africa 1,123 in Asia Pacific, 5,356 in Eurasia, 1,161 in Europe, 642 in South America, and 469 in Northern Asia. And my friends, you are still the plan. You are still the strategy. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that Jesus said that I've given you. And be sure of this, and I think it's the most important, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That means that it's his presence, it's his power, it's his equipping, that's what matters. His presence is with you. What is he saying to you this morning? Scripture says this and I believe this God wants to do more in your life than you can ever dream of or imagine. The places that he has for you to walk exist but what you can beyond what you can comprehend and yet at the same time, there's these, this desire for security and safety and comfort, and I get it. I wish, guys, I wish I could say, guys, I'm preaching to you, and this is what I look like right here, dead. <laughs> I probably look more like this, right? In some places, husks are pulled back and others not, and in other places, they're trying to creep back up, and, and it's a constant tension. It's not a one-time thing. And can I tell you something? You don't have the power to remove your own husks. This is not a do-it-yourself, go home, remove my husks. This is more of a, Lord Jesus, would you help identify the husks in my life so that I can simply recognize them and lay them at your feet and say, Lord, here is this thing and here's this husk and it's defined my life for so long and I have no clue except through you how to remove this husk, but all I can do, the only power I have in my life to say, this is something that I know, and I'm sure there are more that exist, but Lord, as I recognize this, would you begin to pull this back? Would you give me the strength to recognize? Would you give me the strength to walk this out as you begin to identify this and pull this back? Because more than anything else, I want my life to count for you. More than anything else, more than moving in my safety, moving in my protection, I want to walk where you want me to walk. And as much as I want to, I don't want to. And there's that tension. But Lord, help me to surrender to you. I'm going to wrap this up. I don't know if the musicians want to come or if you want to close this portion of this service. I know some of the schedules are, are, are jumbled a little bit between the two churches. But I... I said this earlier, and I, and I, I think about this a lot. I, I really don't think the enemy wants anyone to get this. Right now, the enemy is probably speaking in your ear why this is for everyone else but not you. But what if just one person in this place got this message? And what if this was true? What if one person, one Christian who would simply die, could actually, through the Holy Spirit's power, reproduce their lives 1,600 times. What would change? What if two people got it? Can I dare to say this, that one Christian looking like a dead kernel of corn is more powerful and more effective than 800 who faithfully attend church every single Sunday, but don't truly die. I don't pretend to know what Jesus is saying to each one of you this, but, but I do know this, he is speaking to you. And for each one of you, it can be different. There's no expectation that you all walk out of here and suddenly leave and get on a plane and go away. I don't know what it looks like. It can be in the amount of the way you give. It could be in the way that you serve here. It could be in the fact that you do need. Some of you, he may be saying, pack your bags and go. And you're going to say, but how do I handle this? And he'll say, just start walking and watch what I do. That's between you and God. I just pray that you would have that conversation. And I pray that you would let him answer it and lead you in the path that he has for you. My life has looked nothing like I planned and nothing like I wanted to to initially. We have walked in places that I didn't think was possible for us to walk. I still pinch myself and go, is this really... And it's been paved with great times and paved with incredibly challenging times. And through all of it, God has been good. I haven't always understood why he's done things. But God has been good. He has been amazing. And this is what he has for you. I want to pray in a moment. But I want to close with this quote from William Carey. He's the father of modern day missions and he said this, I am not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Those words weigh on my heart a lot. Can I pray for you? Oh Jesus, I I thank you that that you saw me Years before I was even born, God, you saw me and you knew my life. You knew how desperate I would be for you. God, that you've seen all of us, Lord Jesus. God, that you know us each by name. And that, Lord, you would come to us, Lord Jesus. You would come and you would give your life. You would come to a people that rege- would reject you, the people that would persecute you, and you would come anyway. God, I thank you that that my life and our lives are different because of that, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you for every life in this place, Lord. I thank you for where you've placed them. I thank you that they have been born for such a time as this, Lord God. And God, as I said earlier, I don't pretend to know what you're saying intimately to each one of them, but I know that you're speaking. And I just pray, Lord God, that even now in this moment that you would begin to to gently identify those husks in their lives, those things, Lord Jesus, that unintentionally are holding them back, Lord God. God, as you begin to identify them, Lord, I pray, Lord, through your power, Lord Jesus, that you would begin to remove them. And God, that you would begin to stir and build the courage inside of them to take the steps that you are calling them to take, Lord God. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would walk in the places that you've ordained for them to walk from the beginning of their lives, Lord Jesus. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would embrace your call, Lord God, that they would move beyond their weakness and they would move in your power, Lord God, they would witness and see your authority and your power, Lord Jesus, and what you can do with a surrendered life, Lord God. God, that, that, that the fact that our lives are not to be about ourselves, Lord God, would that be the chief thing, the chief focus in our lives, Lord God? God, would you have your way in the lives of your people? And I pray this, Lord God, that you and your name and only your name would be glorified in our lives, Lord Jesus. That people who do not know you would come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. So, and just hang out for one second. I know you gotta, I know you gotta go. Um, but I really appreciate this guy. And I know that God has spoken through him to you this morning. And so when you were here, were we renovating? You were yeah. Someone was pastoring in Quincy at Glad Tidings and was here when we were renovating this building. And I'm not on the schedule this morning, so I'm up here kind of rogue. But I felt like God was saying a couple of things to me, one in the worship and one during this message. And I felt like he wanted me to come and, and just share. I'm overwhelmed when I look who God has in this room. Because it's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy that in Belmont, Massachusetts, where no one follows Jesus, that we would have this group. Mm -hmm. And as we were worshiping, God was saying to me, there's no other reason why this group of people would be together. There are massive churches in our country, thousands and thousands of people. None of them. Like, Again, yeah, I shouldn't say none of them, many of them. I've been on staff, I've served in them. They do not have Uganda and Nigeria and it's India really, God. and the Ivory Coast and Ghana on their tiny little stage. And more, right in the room, from across this country, this country, right? I was talking to Holly's son earlier, he had his Houston Astros shirt on, that's home for him. I was like, are you cheering for the Astros today? He's like, I hope the Astros win today, right? So even in our nation, like across the nation, and the only thing we have in common is Jesus Christ. And so he brings us from across the world, literally the world, into this tiny little space so that we can come and worship him, not to be on a program, but so that our kids can learn to follow Jesus and we can worship him. And I don't know why, but as you guys were singing that song this morning in all those languages, I got so overwhelmed by that. It's an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And I hope we don't take it for granted. And then someone started preaching this morning and you know, I'm from Nebraska, so this spoke to me. <laughs> There's a a worm in here, see? We don't use fake stuff up here. Yeah, this is really a grub worm crawling out of this. Put the house back up. Yeah, it's dangerous. So my sister is here from Nebraska. My brother-in-law, look at my brother-in-law, Josh, right here. Right? Now look at Selwyn. (laughs) Now look at him. I mean, that's crazy. I felt like I spent the whole weekend with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. My brother-in-law walked in and Andrew said, oh, Selwyn's here early. I'm like, no, no, that's my brother-in-law. That's true. But listen, I, Andrew, Andrew and Rosemary and Lori and I, we were so aware of so much of what's going on in your lives. And there's some, and there's some stuff in the room. And there's stuff happening in people's lives that just can't physically be with us this morning and they can't physically be with us because the stuff is happening. This is what I felt like God was saying to me. This is happening right now in some of your lives. That God is ripping back these husks and it is painful. And I know it's painful because we talk about it. Some of you texted me about it this weekend. Some of you talked to me about it when you walked in this morning already. What I felt like God's saying was God's saying to me, listen, I'm asking when you come and you pray so often you're coming and you're praying and you're asking me to push these back up for people and I'm not going to do it. Maybe that's you this morning as you're walking through this stuff that you're walking. This is what you're praying for. You're praying, God, I had all this, I had all this safety and I had all this comfort and I'm just praying that you would push it all back together and make it like it was new. And God's saying, no, 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 I already started the process. And I didn't cause the brokenness in this world. I didn't make other people sin around you. I didn't make all of those things happen, but I'm going to use it for my glory. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make you look like this. And so I'm not gonna push this stuff back up in your life and you can fight me all you want to make it happen, but I'm not gonna do that. I'm the one that allowed it to be pulled down. And I'm gonna say as your pastor, I'm gonna start praying for this. I'm not praying that God pushes this back up anymore. I'm praying that God turns you into this so he can use you. Someone's a thousand percent right. You're the plan. It's not a better church. It's not a fancier ministry. It's Christians dying to themselves and living for Christ. That's the plan. As we sing this last song, what are we singing here? What song are we singing? Of course it's perfect. Would you stand, would you stand with us? And Selwyn, you can head out. Would you, would you thank Selwyn for being with us? He's gotta go do another service in Burlington. Appreciate you. That's one of the coolest bags I've ever seen. So as we sing this song, can we do this? Can we be vulnerable enough with each other in this moment? Some of you are in the midst of having the husks of your life ripped down. This is why we're here, to carry each other's burdens. Not to go to church, but to be the church to each other. If you're in that space, if you're in that space where you feel like God is ripping down those husks during this final song, Love for someone to pray with you. Andrew and Rosemary, I'll ask them, they'll, they'll be up front here. Lori and I will be over here. Just come and pray with us. Or Maybe there's just someone around you that you can turn to and say, would you pray with me? As I walk through this painful, harsh process of becoming the person that God wants me to be. So let's not waste these few minutes. This is not a, a transition. God's not done in this moment. So come and be prayed for, and let's worship God together.